You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. News team, assemble! And bigger than ever, it's the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Now, here's the entire Soonerscoop crew, Carrie, Josh, Eddie, and Bob. All right, welcome back, everybody. It is another edition of the unofficial 40 podcast. And uh, glad to be back as, uh, boy, we uh, are getting all kinds of news coming out about uh, all kinds of things COVID-related. Uh, there's a couple of big recruiting commitments that have happened since we did do an emergency pod, but uh, since we did the pod last week, uh, Caleb Williams and uh, Latrell McCutcheon commitments have come down, and uh, we're trying to decipher some of what's going on out there with Lincoln Riley and the O's versus the eyeballs and all that stuff. Uh, so we welcome in now uh, Mr. Uh, Radio Morning Guy, Eddie Radosevich, and uh, Mr. Uh, recruiting Publisher, Josh McQuistian, Welcome back, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Good morning. What's uh, happening? How are we? Yeah, welcome. You know, I'm a little upset that Eddie didn't get to do my intro this time. I feel like we've really thrown that out, but, you know, that's he, fine. He drove the emergency pod and he called you McQuestion. So, I mean, he doesn't deserve it anymore. He's never going to do it right. <laughs> McQuestion. See? McQuestion. <laughs> got, got it. I got it. I got it. McQuestion. Go back to Poland, why don't you, all right? That was one of the better lines that has ever been uttered to me on uh, on Twitter. I was, I was pretty pleased with it. There's been a sizable gap between the end of Horns Up for Peace and then starting it up again during a pandemic, and it's not going well. People aren't in on the joke. I just don't think that people – some people just don't get it, which I complete, that's completely fine. I, I think it's kind of funny, the people that still get upset about it, though. Like, I was wondering today, like, if there are no fans in the stands, can you really give someone a unsportsmanlike penalty for making a hand gesture that no one sees? That would be the most Big 12 thing of all time is if somebody got penalized. Well, I guess Mike Fee's no longer around, so you never know. That's who's Did he die of the COVID? Referees. Reggie Smith's going to come and give the, both teams COVID the first game that he does. <laughs> why is that? Why Reggie Smith? Uh, that was, b- besides him and Mike Defee, those were the only two referees that I could think of in the Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably for uh, all the wrong reasons, too. Yeah. Randy Cristobal is long. Is he dead? Is he still? Is Randy Cristobal still alive on this earth? Randy Cristobal is still 100% alive. They did an article about him not too long. Well, I say not too long ago. It was within, like, the last five years. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure he still lives in, like, Austin and does... Uh, some like, uh, I guess you'd be overseeing for Texas high school officiating, something like that. He's got a little side side hustle he's working on still. I don't uh, think that he still does anything though. Like he, he's still not associated with the Big Twelve. 
Well, uh, we are in the worst of times right now, especially in Texas where Josh is and Houston and Oklahoma. Uh, it was 858 cases yesterday, so uh, it is causing a little bit of panic, I will, I will admit. Uh, I've got a little bit of a COVID depression this week. Uh, it's just, Eddie, you've got your bit about the Good News Network. Uh, almost impossible to find anything positive right now in terms yeah. of heading toward a football season other than yesterday when the State Fair of Texas announced there would be no State Fair of Texas, at least OU and Texas athletic directors came out and said, well, we can still play the game, though. I think that's the one positive thing that's come out in the last week. I yeah, think and, it's... You know, I, oh, it, was, it was very much... It was very much so expected, wasn't it? I mean, I don't think that there was anybody that was able to justify the idea of cramming millions, literally millions of people into the state fair over the course of a month. I mean, I, I think that that was kind of a known, but I guess in a way it reassuring to the, to another extent of knowing that, you know, I, college football is basically putting its head down and they're not stopping unless something drastic were to happen. Isn't, is that an easy way to say it? Josh, you have to excuse Eddie. He hasn't talked enough today. He's only done four hours of radio before we did this. So I'm no, on a roll. I took another five-hour energy on my way home. <laughs> he is fine. I, you know, as the non-radio guy, I, I have the personal, you know, I, I, I just I can't talk over people. I don't have that in me. So I've got to train that into my, uh, my spirit. you got to fight all these for years your mic time. Exactly. It's it's brutal. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Like, I think anybody that is surprised about this is just fooling themselves. It just didn't – there was no that way that was going to be possible, especially, like you said, I mean, you guys mentioned almost a 1,000 new ones in uh, Oklahoma yesterday. Texas hit 10,000 new cases yesterday. That's insane. Um, now, they are saying that it, a big part of it was because of the lag of 4th, Ju- 4th of July right. and testing and results. And so, I mean, that, that's got some hand in it for sure. But, I mean, like you look at Florida, they're in a similar state where they're, they hit 10,000 for the first time last week. So, I mean, it, it's, it just kind of is what it is. But I also think you're getting more and more information. You know, we were talking before the pod where there's there are – education agencies that are saying kids should go back to school this fall, you know, those kind of things that I think you're starting to see some momentum that is almost, okay, we know this is serious. We know there's cases here, but we don't think, you know, like I've read stuff where kids just aren't spreading it. Now that's largely younger kids, but there has to be some sort of gap between ourselves and a, you know, 17 year old and the, and the six year old, like there's gotta be some middle ground there where the, the, the teenagers would fall. So I, I think that stuff is interesting. I still think that unless it's just shown empirically, it can't happen. It won't happen. I just think there's too much money on the table for for football to walk away from it. Well, and look, it, you know, we've talked a lot about this. I've talked about this with other journalists. Um, you know, the whole fear mongering thing. I don't get it. I don't understand why you want to be that guy that is constantly doing well. Oh. USC classes are closed. That There's no way USC is going to be able to play football now. Like, you don't know that. You don't know that OU Texas can't be played because the state fair got canceled. It's just like, just let it f***ing play out, people. I mean, I don't know how many times we have to say this. We're not the fear-mongering type, but we want to see football. Like, we really want to see football. 
And if they, look, they want to play football. If, if there's any way that they can make it happen, it's going to happen, even if that means there are no fans in the stands, which I know they want, but at the same time, if that means the difference between playing and not playing, they're going to play, and they're not going to let fans in the stands. So, you know, that's the one thing that I find harder and harder to believe, that somehow you're going to have fans in the stands. Um, you know, you know Maybe you could maybe you could do something good out of it. I mean, maybe you could auction off sweets for a cause or something to uh, allow you know a few individuals for you know ten thousand dollar donation to uh, OU Children's Hospital or something. I, I mean, there's got to be some way that you can you know do something uh, good out of all this stuff. But I you know they're moving forward, and unless everyone gets into fall camp and the you know half the team gets infected and they just can't control it when that happens then give me a call and talk about how there's not going to be a season yep i agree i thought the, i think I it's the when you physically thing, guys yesterday it. was the fact that you know even though that they canceled the state fair of texas technically under texas's rules right now if i unless i have misunderstood this they can still get 20,000 people into the cotton bowl yeah, yeah. I mean, if the, if the game was played yesterday, I mean, it, I think the the state fair thing is basically they just you can There's no way you can control that. You can at least control a number of amount of fans that come in to a stadium. When I heard this today, like, oh, you've got to move this to Jerry World now, don't you? And I'm like, no, you don't. Like the Cotton Bowl for people that don't know, it's perfect for like a bubble situation. You pull the buses right up by the locker rooms. The locker rooms are right there by the ramp. I said this on Twitter yesterday. Then you go down the field, you come back to your locker rooms, you get on the bus, and you leave. Like, there's not a better bubble situation to be in. I mean, going on the road, staying in a hotel somewhere, uh, that's that's what everybody is going to face. But if you don't have the State Fair Texas, it's going to be even easier for those teams to get in, play a game, get out. Way easier than Jerry World, I would think. No, I mean, nowadays you can pull up and – actually get in and get out like those guys literally walk off the bus into the uh into the locker room at jerry world i i don't know i mean if you're gonna play the game down there you might as well just play it at the cotton bowl i don't think it really matters to be honest with you it doesn't I'm, especially I'm all fans for the idea there. i'm all for the idea though of playing that game at night if there are no fans in the stands and i know that that is wishful thinking and probably even a fantasy of mine but i think it would be pretty goddamn cool I think you have to move it to Jerry World if you're going to play a night game. That's the one thing that I I do think. Well, I, I mean that I I don't want to play a night game then if they're playing at Jerry World. I think the uniqueness of the opportunity of playing a night game at the Cotton Bowl would be kind of cool. But I understand like for all the reasons out there why they'll never have that even with fans is completely understandable. I'm not complaining about that. Uh walking through the state fair at night like all empty and nobody in it just Feels like the start of a scary movie to yes, me, and I'm yes. just not—I'm not into that. So I'm gonna—I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a pass. Up. Oh, I've you put lights up for the people that are scared of the dark. I—I I am scared in general of all scary movies, so this just looks like it writes itself, and I'm not interested. <laughs> I've been to a concert uh, out at the the amphitheater out there, and hung out, you know, a while after it was over. Went to the car, talked to a buddy, and there was a point Spoke where we just like fun. we were just like we need to get out of here now. Like it's not a good place to be after dark. Oh, I just mean the state fairgrounds. Like I'm waiting for, you know, 
the clown, the killer clown, to show up and murder everyone. I'm not okay with it. I'm I'm very uncomfortable. Well, Eddie probably knows this. Uh, nearby is a nice golf course. Lee Trevino grew up on it, Tennyson Park. He used to find dead bodies on greens all the time out there. That's part of the uh, that's part of the 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 character of the place. It's what made Lee Trevino such a great competitor. Usual when you get a little blood on a green, it makes everything the stamp meter goes crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, look, we have to get at some point to practicing and you know voluntary workouts. They're going to have you know walkthroughs are coming up to what twenty third, twenty fourth. So we're in the month. So we're literally two weeks away. Uh, from organized team activities where they can be out do on the you, field with a football. Do you have a, a like, I, I'm a little bit confused on the stuff that the NCAA oversight committee approved as far as the July 13th date and the July is, do you say 23rd date? Like what exactly are they going to be able to get out there and do? Well, with the 23rd, 24th, that becomes a walkthrough situation. The 13th just becomes coaches uh, can spend time around the players in the facility, doing more meetings, uh, you know, probably doing some install stuff in, in film room and things like that. Okay. So, but like all the coaches, uh, like meetings and the position meetings, the way I understand it with OU, they're going to try and keep that on Zoom as much as, as, much as yeah. possible. Yeah. Correct? Right. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, I guess they need to be in the room at some point in the same room, but I don't really think that that's going to be that big of an issue. Well, and then you have the issues of, you know, travel and, you know, you know the thing about New York, um, you know, trying to play at Army when they've added Oklahoma to their quarantine list. If you come in from Oklahoma, sure. you got to spend, what is it, 14 days or is it 10 days? I think it's 14. Uh, I, think, I think it's 14 days, but, like, how exactly is that going to be Enforced. Now, I, mean, I would think that they would make an allowance if they know that a group of people has been tested, you know, sure. uh, quarantine, that it's, it's you know, allowing a sports team to come in that has gone, you know, rigor, undergone rigorous testing, uh, that has a lot of, you know, CDC protocols in place. I would think you could make an allowance. I, I mean, I don't think that that's another one of those things like, oh, look at what New York did. Can't play Army this year. Yeah, that was, that was kind of the, I mean, hell, and I, I, I gave him hell this morning about it, but I, I, I was giving shit to Dylan about it because that was like block A of the news last night was, how is this going to affect the Army game? It was like the most TV thing of all time. <laughs> uh, let's get the clicks, man. Get the Get the viewers. I mean, I get it. It's a big story around here for sure. I just, there's nothing you can really say about it as of, as of yet. Yeah, and you can't say anything about the schedule. I mean, look at what's going on with with you know USC right now. Uh, OU, you know, they've come out with a plan for having students, but now with the spike going on, you have to know that they're rethinking things a little bit there. Uh, I know high schools around here uh, where they like Mustang and Edmond. I think have already voted like to to bring students back to campus. But if you want to have an online experience, you can sign up for that. Uh, so yeah, that seems to be the kind of the sexy thing of the week as far as they're going, you're basically going to have the option of either sending your kid to class like, like normal or sending your kid to an online program that they're going to have, I guess, I don't know if it's going to be separately. I don't know if like, will a class have, you know, 
10 kids in the classroom, but five kids are doing the online thing. Are they going to be within that, that same classroom? Like, I guess there's, I don't even know if that's been decided yet. By the way, uh, if you want to see riding, just tell parents that their kids can't go back to school. Like I could, I could see Josh down at NRG just breaking out windows, rioting and protesting <laughs> when he finds I, out that school is not open. I don't have any semi-automatic weaponry, but I will get some <laughs> and run the streets in my camo uh, vest. I will do it. So my children are going back to school. They need to go back to school. I am a piss-poor teacher. They need their education. I feel bad for – I mean, I know so many people, like – they're just there like i could see i could see husbands i could see wives just walking out on their families if the kids don't go back to school <laughs> just be I, like i i wanted to have a family i know but i'm done with this i can't handle it i'm gone i'm moving to I montana just, i don't understand the rationale like okay we can send all these kids to daycares or you know with babysitters we're gonna mix them in with all these other people but school? No, no, no. That's too far. They're with the same people every day, all day, and are pretty, especially like middle school, elementary. They're with the same schools, the same kids, and the neighborhoods they live in. Like, I don't really understand how we don't understand. That's less mixing than if you send them out to daycares or babysitters where they're mixing with all sorts of people that they don't come across in their everyday lives. I saw, I saw a headline yesterday weird. or the other day. It was like, beloved janitor, local high school dies of coronavirus. I was like, were they in high school? Like, was was, the, was school in session? No. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you trying to, you know, shut down Send the Send me schools? that article. <laughs> I, will, I, will write, I will write a letter to the editor. I'm going on Twitter right now. Just look up uh, janitor coronavirus. Janitor, okay. I'm on it. I, I'm going to be busy for the rest of this podcast, pinning a very well thought out, very angry email. I don't know. Maybe janitor Dennis Dixon worked hours to protect the New York police department oh. from coronavirus and then died from it. And yes. lower lettering, it's like, well, and he also had cancer and he had diabetes and he had him in, in good health for five years, but. And he smoked for 40 years. Yeah. It was, hey. It, well, I don't want to get too far down the road, but it was like but the, the little been... boy in Florida. They were like, oh, 11-year-old. I was like, oh, crap. I mean, that's not lo- like as a parent, like that's been the saving grace. I'm like, my kids are okay. This is going to be okay. You know, adults who can make decisions for themselves, they're at risk. Kids, they're fine. And then you read this thing about in Florida, and you're like, oh, no. And then you look it up, and it's like, nope, there were, there were all sorts of preexisting conditions. and And that doesn't make it less terrible for the kid or for his parent or anything like that. But it, as another parent, you're like, I, I feel like that could have con- been conveyed a little cleaner. Yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of given up on any kind of dialogue regarding. Yeah, you're right. Coronavirus and deaths and cases. I don't and, feel like there's anything that can be done. Like you can say wear a mask, but yeah, and I hope people do that. I did see Norman City Council approve that last night. That's now mandatory. But you know, I. I don't want to say it is what it is, but it is what it is. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm Eddie. You and I have, like, I feel like you and I early were skeptical. Me more so than everybody. We, we can, we can own that. I hear about that once a week on Twitter. And then in the middle, I was like, okay, very concerned. Let's, let's do what we need to do. And now I, I do have a feeling of like, I, you have to take the right precautions. You have to be careful. We have to protect everybody we can. 
but at some point get 90,000 people inside of Gaylord family on September 5th. I completely understand that is out of the question, but I I, I agree. At some point, I don't know what the, like, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I guess that's the problem. It's frustrating. It is. And the, I think the problem is everybody expects a right answer, and there's not one. There's no perfect answer. There's no silver bullet for this thing until there's a vaccine, and we don't know when that's going to come, and you can't afford to just for everything to be shut down because all you're going to get is more and more pissed-off people because everything that we enjoy is just gone right now, and it's it's hard. Guys, I've watched more Arsenal soccer in the last couple of weeks than I've watched in a year and a half. Now, part of that is they're playing really well, so, you know, we're going to Champions League. Let's go Arsenal. But it's much more about, oh, my God, I can watch something I I actually enjoy and haven't seen 12 times. Sure. You know who uh, I saw yesterday um, that was uh, talking about the Arsenal? Howard Schnellenberger. No, it really su- surprised me too. It's someone from Edmond that is a uh, professional athlete. Somebody Reggie from Smith? Edmond that's a professional. Uh, Brandon Weedham. No, I mean an active. Blake Griffin. An active, not Blake Griffin. Hmm. I think he was hardcore. Wasn't he PC area, Eddie, or OKC? Who's that, Blake? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where they just, lived growing up. I mean, they were homeschooled for the longest time before they went over to OCS. So I I think that they kind of lived over off, uh, like, over by Cooper Middle School, maybe. I know his parents live over in my parents' neighborhood now. Shout out Glenhurst. Um, <laughs> this has Steven, gone on too long. It's Josh Richardson. Oh, well, damn. That, I, would never, <laughs> I would never have guessed him. Uh, I was thinking at, somebody with an OU contact. Played no, played at Tennessee. Is uh, was yeah. with Miami now with the 76ers. Really, really great guy. By the way, I've met him a few times. He always oh, he comes just in. Donated like he donated a bunch of money back to Oklahoma, didn't he? To I'm, fight COVID. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, he's still very active in the. He comes back and does free summer camps and stuff for kids and stuff. But yeah, Josh Josh Richardson, big Arsenal fan. Help. Uh, that's Philadelphia families, but yeah. Apparently made a big donation in Philadelphia. Can't speak for Oklahoma. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he donated like thirty thousand dollars to. Uh, yeah, here Edmund it is. Uh, twenty five thousand dollars to the Oklahoma Food Bank. I see. That's um, it. That's what it was. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool though. So, yeah. No, like I said, he'd made he made available like five hundred thousand meals in Philadelphia. So clearly, he's a guy you know giving back. That's awesome. Um. Okay. So. Moving on a little bit, um, I guess we should talk about Caleb Williams. And really, I mean, like, I kind of got mad at somebody because they were like, well, Latrell McCutcheon's not really who who's the highlight of this weekend. It's it's definitely Caleb Williams. And I or I think they phrased it like, Latrell McCutcheon is not a very interesting story compared to Caleb Williams. I was like, okay, you need to go do some research right now. I I think it's the exact opposite, Kerry. I I agree completely. I, I think he's, I think he is far more pivotal as far as what could happen. Go, not, it's God, it's a weird way to word it. Caleb Williams is going to have a big impact in 2021. I feel like Latrell McCutcheon is the guy you may look back on three or four years from now that helps start to change the recruiting narrative for OU defensively. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely, and that's that's you know one of the main things that I was pointing out. And you look at 
you know, the way Alex Grinch and, and Roy Manning have it set up now, and it appears that, you know, at least in the secondary, that, you know, we're we're light years away from trying to, you know, just get Jeremiah Cradell to sign with you on signing day. So you have one little bright spot on your defense. Like, now you're actually seeing this defense and the whole speed D thing. They push that hard. Uh, the LSU game has not been an albatross around their neck. And they're they're now catching the attention. It's like that whole thing that existed that you don't want to go to OU and play defense. I think Kenneth Murray getting drafted had a big part in that too. Uh, but they've changed the narrative around defensive recruiting at Oklahoma already. Guys, you know, it's listen. Kind of, oh, go ahead, Eddie. Oh, I was just going to kind of toss it to you, Josh, as, as far as it's kind of amazing how quickly – and I, I say quickly, I mean, I guess Roy Manning's had about a year and a half, but Jamar Cain's obviously come out of the gate, uh, started quickly uh, in the recruiting world, getting uh, Kabonga and Clayton Smith. It, it would seem that these guys, it didn't take very long for them to flip the switch and be able to not only start selling what they've done in a year in Norman, but basically selling the future. And in a way, I would think that, you know, I this is more of a recruiting segment, but I would think that that has to tell you about where a lot of people think Alex Grinch is as far as kind of putting his feet down and planting himself in Norman for a while. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you, it's like we always talked about, guys, when we would talk about having to recruit to what Oklahoma was doing defensively, and it was kind of a tough sell because, you know, when you would talk to kids, it almost felt like, you know, okay, it's almost like a theoretical idea. Like, this is what we'd like to be defensively. But we're not there yet because of this reason or that reason, and it always kind of changed from year to year. Well, right now, Oklahoma knows exactly what they want to be on defense. It's a high-pressure front. They're going to play a lot of man behind it. I mean, almost regardless of what position you're talking about, those are appealing traits to the key positions you're going to recruit on defense. Defensive line, front seven, and corners. Latrell McCutcheon loves the idea of playing man, and they love being able to tell him that – we want to put you on an island, and we're just going to forget about that receiver. You're going to be the guy. You're going to shut him down. That's what we want you to do. And that's going to let guys like, you know, hopefully for them, Marcus Burris, Kelvin Gilliam, all these other guys, that's going to allow them to go get after the quarterback. Nathan rollins Kabonga, as Eddie mentioned. I mean, that's a big part of it. When I talked to Latrell, that was a, a real factor in his decision was just how much he likes the scheme and what they're doing defensively. And I, I do want to be clear. I think his relationship with Roy Manning was absolutely the number one bo- bullet point. Like that's what made it possible for Oklahoma. But I would say number two is him liking that scheme, liking what Alex Grinch brings to the table. And again, they just have a clear picture they can sell. This is what we are. This is what we're going to do. And you just it, it allows so much more freedom because. If we don't get this guy, okay, we know the next guy. It's not a oh well, okay, well, maybe if we did this, you know, this change up a little bit, we can do make this guy work. They know what they're looking for, and that's why they're finding these guys. And I mean, the situation at corner looks really good for Oklahoma. And when's the last time we could say that in a recruiting class where you said, I, I think almost no matter what happens, Oklahoma's going to walk away with a couple of probable rivals two fifty type corners and really be on a high level. Um, you know, with some of the national names they're recruiting against. You had, and really the only time you can think to say that is 2017 when they landed like Justin Broyles and Trey Brown. And it was so built on guys that were, 
I don't know. I don't want to say layups for Oklahoma, but they they are guys that Oklahoma absolutely should have landed with no excuses. You know, it's such a night and day difference, too. And I think you've hit on this, and, and Bob has hit on it as well, just as far as what they're looking for in a cornerback. I mean, you look at the guys that they brought in here in, uh, you know, specifically, I guess, the 2019 class and then the or the 2020 class and then what they have in 2021. And, I mean, those guys are every – like, it's hard to imagine that they don't get involved in a guy like the uh, kid that you saw during the junior tour during uh, – over at Midwest State, the Mikel kid. He that, yeah. that kid looks awesome in what they're – trying to do absolutely and th- and that's why he is a guy you know people kind of keep asking me could he be a guy yeah he makes a lot of sense like i i could absolutely see him being a player that oklahoma gets involved with but you're absolutely right eddie i mean you look at some of the dbs that ou's recruited even in that 2017 class trey norwood 511 168 trey brown 511 180 uh justin Burrell, six foot 170 and then you turn it around you know, right now where you've got Latrell McCutcheon, who's six foot one, um, you know, y- you just go down that list and there are a lot of guys that even those that aren't committed are clearly big guys, big size. And Jordan Mukes, I mean, Choctaw is just a monster. Even, even as a safety, he's bigger than Robert Barnes was at any point in his career. So there is a, there's a lot of, um, kind of flexibility like i said that's one of the things i like about mukes maybe if it didn't work out at safety he's big enough to make a move to a different position um and like i said it's just having a clear image of what you're doing and you're seeing success from it i mean and i think also you just have to give a lot of credit to the coaches jamar kane's doing a standout job obviously you know we're talking about roy manning doing a great job uh calvin thibodeau's already got isaiah coe uh, Ethan Downs, and then you could throw in, you know, Oklahoma's right there with Marcus Burris, Kelvin Gilliam. Uh, Brian Odom's got Danny Stutzman, is in good shape with Kendall Daniels, is really pushing with Prince Colley. So, I mean, there are a, defensively, all of a sudden, Oklahoma is not that school where you're like, well, okay, they're going to miss out on these guys in the summer, and then we'll see where they go in the fall and see who they can find. They are very real contenders for some of the top targets they have. And then if those don't work out, okay, you know, you you plan accordingly. But I, I felt like four years ago, we were just waiting for OU to miss out on their Tier 1 targets and then figure out what they were going to do. I feel like Oklahoma has a much clearer plan as far as, okay, this is where we are with this guy, and if that shoe doesn't fall, we'll move in this direction. Is it, you know, is it simple, too simple to just say, well, if they get Kendall Daniels, that proves that the staff is doing everything the right way and, and is probably going to be dominant in recruiting year after year. Yeah. I mean, I Kendall Daniels, let, let's be real. That's a guy OU should get. I mean, it, it really is. And it's not, not to say that they will or that it's set in stone, but, I mean, that's a guy, you know, grew up – I mean, I, I would – Oklahoma fan, I, I say that, but when I talk to him, and, I mean, that's something he has said to me in the past, but it's not like – I don't know, most of the people on our board grew up OU fans, wearing OU gear everywhere from the time they were six right. till they were 16. You know, it's not that kind of fandom. But, I mean, that's a school he liked. So, But I, I guess I'm just a, saying from the perspective of they got out late, they, you know, they didn't know if he was really the guy that yeah. they wanted, and now mm-hmm. they've made up ground. And it kind of it, – it, it, to me it would speak to, okay, well, you know, you didn't let a poor start hurt you. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's clear that more than any, you know, as an entirety of a staff, 
more than any staff I've seen at OU probably since the mid 2000s, late 2000s maybe, is this is a class, like a group that when they want to put the pressure on and really make, you know, uh, you know, to use the the really crappy term, feel the love, they are very good at that. They mm-hmm. are very good at being aggressive and really closing out on a recruit, which is, you know, you you can talk about all these other things in recruiting. That's usually the bottom line because there are lots of times we've seen Oklahoma, oh, the kid loves the the school, blah, 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 and then Oklahoma couldn't close him. I mean, a couple of great examples are guys like Zach Banner, Max Brown, that Oklahoma yeah. was right there for, and they just couldn't close them. And that I don't see that on this staff. This is a group that, I mean, we're talking about Caleb Williams, a guy that OU was nowhere with four months ago and is now, you know, has him as part of their class and is obviously a huge piece of that class. You know, what's kind of funny is, and I think it kind of, in a way, it, it might speak to just how this, this is a good example of how big Oklahoma's weekend was from a recruiting standpoint. I felt like it wasn't even talked about that Oklahoma just went straight into Austin and got a quarterback. Like how, how unusual is that? Just saying that. And the fact that the battle wasn't even really with Texas. Like, Texas was never that big of a storyline for him. And I think it goes to a few reasons. I think he's one of those kids. And there's always a few in the state of Texas that are like, I don't understand why Texas is such a big deal. Especially, like, in the 2000s, Texas was winning at a huge rate, won a national title, competed for another, like, fine. You get it. Kids can get excited about that. But there'll be these eras when they're not really doing anything and you kind of struggle to understand, well, why is this such a big, you know, why why is there this pull to go to Texas when you know what you're walking into? And I feel like for him, that's kind of what it was. He was like, I don't understand why everybody's this wound up about it. And another kid I talked to that I felt like always kind of just wasn't real sold on where Texas was, was Toon Miche Adelier. And so there's always a couple kids like this, and that's kind of where he was. And, I mean, but, God, you look at his offer list. You can't find many guys OU has signed in recent years that can match Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida. Uh, You know, uh, you just go down that list, and it's everybody you're looking for to say, okay, this is a good defensive player. And I know there's been some talk. You know, I've had a few people ask me, was Alabama still involved? Alabama was absolutely still involved with Latrell McCutcheon. They wanted him. They wanted him to be part of the class. I'm not sure they're going to walk away at this point. But, like I said, with his relationship with Roy Manning, unless something were to change there, I, I just don't see that. I, I don't see them as a real threat because he's had that option twice and walked away from it. I would, wanted... he be the highest ranked, would he be the highest ranked uh, commitment out of Austin in, you know, I guess 30 years? I mean, I guess you can't technically put Baker into that that mix. I guess Samaje, <laughs> would he technically be in that mix? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, you know, suburb kind of guy. It depends on how literal you want to get about sure, uh, sure. W- what are the Austin City limits. But um, I, you know, P. Ryan was a 150 guy. Uh, you know, you go all the way back to Derek Strait. Derek Strait was a three-star guy out of Austin Lanier. Uh, you know, you kind of run down the list. I mean, they've landed some good players, but nobody like that. Uh, I think probably the highest-rated um really to go back a little farther would be the James Kirkendall guy that ended up being committed OU, then Texas decided to offer him. He goes to Texas, and Oklahoma ends up with Ryan Broyles. So that all worked out pretty well for OU. But, yeah, I mean, it's an area, if you look back through it, 
Oklahoma has actually had pretty decent success in the greater Austin area, recruiting not only just landing you know high-level recruits, but having players that turned out very well. Obviously, Derek Straits, one of the most decorated defensive players in Oklahoma history. I wanted to uh, address some stuff with with Caleb Williams because, you know, I've 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 had a. It, it's kind of been this thing, and I'm not wanting to pick at old scabs here. Uh, but it's kind of, to me, it's a little bit of the loser mentality you see creep out there from time to time um, where, you know, it's it's like this attitude of, oh. I'm really scared where you're going on this. I am very intrigued. <laughs> but it, it's like this this narrative that people try and throw out there like, oh, well, it's going to be a problem. Oh, you having, you know, two five-star quarterbacks on their roster because, you know, quarterbacks just transfer all the time. And to me, I think that's the most, for anybody that's ever paid attention to quarterback recruiting and how, how much of a, um, you know, uh, a, what's what I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a crapshoot sometimes. Even if you think a guy has all the tools, you don't know if he has and has. Like, you go through and you look at the Elite 11 MVPs over the years. Uh, and you know, compare them to some of the other guys that they were camping with. Like, uh, for instance, I was just going down the list. Kyle Wright, you remember him, Josh, from 2002? Oh, yeah. uh, oh, went yeah. to Miami, uh, couldn't stop hitting his lineman in the head with his passes uh, in the uh, All-American <laughs> game. Did nothing, but like he was on the field with Dennis Dixon. Chris Leak was in that camp. You won a championship in Florida. Uh Jamarcus Russell was was in that camp. It, it's just like you go down the list, like uh, 2003, Rhett Bomar, we all know he didn't turn out. Uh, Matt Tuiasasopo, they were the co-MVPs. Uh, but, you know, they were in a camp with, like, John David Booty and um, the Drew Weatherford kid that went. Bobby Reed was in that camp. Uh, but, I mean, like, you look at these MVPs over the years, and it's a crapshoot. Like, you don't always know... If a kid like Mark Sanchez was an MVP, I'd say he turned out fine. Uh, and Matt Stafford, pretty good, pretty good guy to have as your MVP. But you know, then you have the John John Brantleys that win your MVP. So it's like from that perspective, I look at it and I say, we don't know if Spencer Rattler's going to be Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, good. We don't know if Spencer Rattler's going to be available to play. I mean, he's already been suspended once in high school. What kind of kid is he? That's I think that that's a, a legitimate question. Like, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Everybody wanted uh, uh, Keith Nickel back in the day. Remember him? What did he do? He transferred out. Sam Bradford won the job that nobody cared about. Three star, and then Keith Nickel transferred to wide receiver at Michigan State because of Kirk Cousins. I could have told you that was going to be uh, a bad decision the moment that he walked into the uh, Fiji house with a Bluetooth and Timberlands, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. You'd love telling that story, and I love hearing it's my, it. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories from college. And it's just so on-brand Keith Nickel. If you ever look at his rival's photo, it's like, yeah, I can see that guy wearing Timberlands, for but, sure. But, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, Justin Fields going, you know, going to Georgia. I mean, like, if Georgia had any balls, they would have replaced my guy, who's no longer my guy, uh, with Justin Fields. They would have been better off, but they didn't do that. What's interesting when you look through the Elite 11 MVPs, it's either a, I mean, like, and I would say it's probably 65, 70% really good success, and then there's 
30%. But when they miss, it is horrific. Like Asante Woolard, um, <laughs> Tanner Mangum, Neil Burcham. I mean, like, I mean, Jeff Driscoll. I mean, Jeff Driscoll is a borderline success, I guess. I mean, he's in the NFL. He got drafted. So it's not a total whiff. But I mean, you look through the ones that are wrong. Okay, here's one of the greats. Sean White, Elite 11 MVP at Auburn, competed against Deshaun Watson. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I remember I, you know, I mean, like, like, and I look through the rest of the list, and it's not great, but my probably my bigger thing is some of the cho- choices they have here. Like in that year with Deshaun Watson, it's pretty much Deshaun Watson, and of names anybody would know, Kyle Allen from A&M. Right, really good Will player. Greer. Okay, Will Greer's a good one. Gerard Hurd, who got moved to tight end while he was at Receiver. Texas. Receiver. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, I mean, another one of the real stars was Brad Kaya, who went to Miami, was ACC Freshman of the Year, and then just fell off the map. Well, I'll do you one but better. I mean, I'll do you one better. Uh, ben Olsen in 2001 uh-huh. was the Elite 11 MVP. Transferred to like four different schools, I think. Uh, he was in the same camp with, should have been Heisman Trophy winner Vince Young, was a Heisman Trophy winner Troy Smith, still playing in the NFL Drew Stanton. Uh, I mean, my God. So here, here's another good one. 2014, Blake Barnett beats out oh, Kyler man. Murray, Josh Rosen, oh, no. Jarrett Stidham, and then, you know, uh, Brady White, who had a decent career. You know, like the, some other guys that were – Brandon Winbush was another one he beat out. But, like, you're like, oh, man. So Blake Barnett's – his college is attended. Drew Locke, too. Uh, yeah. Alabama – Palomar College, Arizona State, USF. <laughs> it did not go well for Blake Barnett. I think that just goes – I mean, you have to factor in the way that you evaluate quarterbacks. But, like, I don't know anybody that would – and, you know, obviously for every every five-star out there, there's going to be plenty of stories like a Baker Mayfield. But you got to take your chances. I'm taking a chance on a five-star kid every time. Josh, in 2014, depending well, on what happens with uh, Cam Newton – there are four starting quarterbacks in the NFL not named Blake Barnett that were in that camp. Oh, no. Oh, that's bad. Jared that, Stidham, the, Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray, and Drew Locke. That is bad. Now, that, you know, that is – but, I mean, that, that that's what – like I said, when they – most of the time when they – like they pick their MVPs, those guys go on to be good players. So, like, I think you'd play the odds on that. Eddie's right. Yeah. But boy, when they miss, woo, it's a whiff. I mean, it's bad, bad. Um, but it's, I mean, Shea, like, Shea oh, Patterson was the MVP. I mean, he's been probably one of the biggest quarterback disappointments in recent. Well, I mean, in the 2016, last 10 years. they took Tua over Chris Robison. Clearly, they whiffed on that choice. <laughs> no, they they made a good choice on Tua. <laughs> yeah. But that's a pretty good group. So you had Sam Ellinger, Except Jake they did Fromm. invite Tate Martell. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not good. Um, Davis Mills. Uh, I mean, they, they had that class was actually Elinger. pretty good. Uh, Miles Brennan, I, I think, who was expected to start at LSU this year. So there's there's some good ones. I will say recently, though, it's like in 2017, you knew Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were the best two quarterbacks. Yes, there was no, there was no third guy. My guy was still robbed of MVP, but whatever. You know, we're not we're not we're letting go of that. We're not worried about that. We got the flow. Well, they they awarded the true champion justin fields the mvp that year oh here we go beyond your bullshit look again. they're both going to be number one draft picks probably probably like, they should literally just like you want to go you know this year next year what do we want to do here 
Trevor. We'll talk about it. Um, no, what I <laughs> but do that was, say, but that was the other thing that it was like, you know, everybody's like, oh, and it goes back to the Vandegrift thing. It's like, oh, and I'm sure our rivals guys put out who did, who did oh you end up with the right choice at quarterback. Uh, here's the thinking, like. You give Lincoln Riley either one of those guys, and I like my chances. It doesn't matter that it wasn't Brock Vandegrift. I think if Lincoln Riley had Brock Vandegrift, he'd be a really good quarterback. But he got Caleb Williams. So you know what? Caleb Williams is going to be a really good quarterback because Lincoln Riley is his coach. I can't say the same thing for Brock Vandegrift at Georgia because Georgia's had a shit ton of talented quarterbacks. Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, uh, who's the other guy? Aaron Murray. Uh, I mean... And none of those guys have been number one overall draft picks. They got Todd Munkin. He's going to save the day. He's going to do everything at Georgia. I actually uh, do like him. No, I do too. Like it, it feels like such a ripoff though of what LSU just did. Like, well, we'll just do what LSU did, and we'll bring the NFL guy. That'll fix it all. Um, I guys, and I, I'm really scared here because this is a dangerous topic. We're going to bring a little religion into the podcast here. Oh no! Can you name the last time like? one of the elite quarterbacks and there always seems to be like it's one or two Dame out in the thing? west coast no 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 we're, we're we're going after the uh the, the mormons here sorry mormons not not an intentional tag but it's a funny thing because i always see these kids and there's a couple seems like one or two every other year or so that are big time quarterbacks out in the west coast you know uh the most recent one i'm thinking of is the tanner mckee kid from corona centennial and they're like, you know, top five, top ten guys. And you kind of wonder why they're not getting more attention or why BYU and Utah are so involved. Then you find out, oh, okay, they're, they're Mormons, and they want to do their Mormon mission. Okay, fine. Those guys, you brought up Ben Olsen earlier, and that's what made me think of it, mm-hmm. Kerry. They almost never pan out. They almost, like, it's like they the go stars, for two yeah. years. Yeah. And, like, now, don't get me wrong, BYU and Utah both have a lot of good quarterback play, and I don't know all of them if they are or are not Mormon. But it's interesting to watch, like, these guys that were really ballyhooed and kind of wonder, like, what if you had just gone on to college and not spent two years, you know, not playing football, not really being around it? How much, how much did that hurt you, and were you ever really able to regain where you were? Yeah. So, you know, sorry, Mormons. It's probably tough to break down a uh, cover two when you worried about seven wives back at home. And everything up okay the house. <laughs> my god what i i that's just an observation i'm not saying that i believe that i'm just saying that's an observation i i have i have at least one family member that's a mormon so i can say all this it's it's okay we're fine they can just <laughs> they can just confess it away eddie exactly we're, we're, uh, we're gonna be okay it's here. on the list it's on the list i'm going to uh i'm going over to the church later today it's wednesday <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I and the funny thing is the one guy that they have in the NFL that they can point their finger to is a guy that's not really known for being a quarterback. It's Taysom Hill. Sure. He's known as being a hybrid guy. Is is and this is this might be a stupid question. Is Josh McCown? He was UCLA, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I just Josh. didn't know if he's Mormon. I I, oh, I knew okay. he had like a huge ass family, so I didn't know if I don't know. Never mind. I, that's more Catholic, isn't it? Huge families are a Catholic thing. Yeah, but they're all like uh, I don't know. They 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 look Mormon. You know, did you're you guys a hardcore Catholic if you got a big family. Oh, did you guys sure. see the stats that about Jameis Winston? I mean, and I, they're obviously there. It's not like it was some big find. 
about Jameis Winston throwing twice as many interceptions last year as Taysom Hill has career passes. <laughs> That's amazing. I would 100% believe that. 13 to 30. What was it 30 that he threw last year? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was, it was 30 right on the dot. Number. Yeah. By the way, he and, uh, the- he and uh, Neil Burcham, who went to SMU, were co-MVPs at the Elite 11. They robbed Obviously. Zeke Pike of the title. Oh, probably my think- all-time <laughs> what-the-hell-are-we-doing-here quarterback. I think a week after spending a week with him in Atlanta, oh my God. all three of us could have told you that wasn't going to work out very well at Auburn. Well, and then when we I, saw I him in the All-American practices, yes, it was just that, like, that's where I, who is this guy? Oh, maybe that's what he I, was, it was the All-American practices. That's right. Yeah, he was the all-time guy that, like, it's cold in San Antonio, and, you know, sometimes you can see your breath. But, like, I'm almost checking him, like, does he have a heater on his lip? Like, is he smoking, like, in his helmet? Like, that's the kind of guy <laughs> Zeke Pike struck you as. Like, he's just smoking a stick out there in the middle of practice. Uh, that was, he was, he was a character for sure. I don't even know where he is now. It, 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 prison would not surprise me. Well, but, I, you know, back to the Caleb Williams thing. I just, you know, I, and I think it's hard for OU fans because you're not used to seeing OU back up five-star on top of five-star in back-to-back classes. But guess what? That's what your program is now. That's what Lincoln Riley is making it. That's the product of having every quarterback that Oklahoma, that Lincoln Riley has coached end up in New York City somehow. Two of them have won it. One was the runner-up. Fall in line with Spencer Rattler. I mean, it... But it, he also brought in five three-star receivers in one recruiting class, too. I mean, like, that's that's never happened before. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is a product of what they're doing out of the quarterback room, right? It, it all kind of goes hand-in-hand. Can we talk about nothing more stupid out there than this never-ending need to... Well, Lincoln Riley hadn't recruited anybody. So what? Oh, my God. Why, why is that an art? Like, Kyler Murray was in the program for three years. Baker Mayfield was there for four. Do we think that Kyler Murray got so much out of the, what, two games he started at A&M? Did you, I, let it, me ask you, Josh. I, uh, I want to know, because I know I saw that this morning. Was it Ari Wasserman? Did you see his article for The Athletic? No, did, did like an actual reporter wrote this story? I'm just talking about horseshit fans, like of other schools trying to bring. I can't believe someone credible. Did he really try to bring that argument? Uh, here is the tweet from earlier today. I'm trying oh, to find what? it. What this is going to get good? We're going to get a good react from Josh here. Mark it and save it. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't. It Ari. is bullshit, though. Well, Carrie finds it. I, I mean, I, I think that Even that's stupid. one of those things that is a narrative-driven type comment. And anything that you say that goes against what those people out there are saying, it gets negated because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and it's, it's I mean, the, th- the thing is, one of the guys... The, the guy that started basically everything for him at East Carolina was a kid he recruited out of Houston Episcopal that nobody else wanted and takes him to East Carolina, sets all kinds of records, and, you know, but that doesn't count because he's well, not and, at Oklahoma. And, okay. And the other thing, too, is, is you know, people act like, including myself, really, like I, people act like, you know, whether it be Baker or Kyler, whichever one you want to make the argument for, People act like Kyler Murray just showed up in Norman having thrown 
for 5,000 yards in College Station. That couldn't have been the case. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that that was – I mean, he had such a huge year at A&M that he left afterwards. I mean, that that was right. why it was so it, – it, and it, it, everybody like – Oh, Baker, well, Baker Mayfield was, you know, Big 12 co-offensive player of the year. He got benched. Like, don't don't act like this guy you knew. And, I mean, I'm not acting like that either because when he came, I didn't I, – I thought, man, he throws too many interceptions. He's mistake prone. I'm not trying to rewrite history for myself either. I did not think he was a special player. But you can't rewrite it and act like, oh, yeah, th- this, this guy all along, everybody saw it. Now, Kyler Murray, okay, maybe you can make that argument. But, I mean, the guy was barely a 60% passer at A&M through seven touchdowns to five interceptions or uh, seven interceptions to five touchdowns as a freshman. Like, that's not like he set the world on fire before he got to Lincoln Riley, and then he spends three years in that program. Don't tell me he's not a product of Oklahoma. He absolutely is. Do you think that there is any – and I don't even know if pressure is the right, right word, but there will be a lot of special attention – put on what Spencer Rattler does, put on what Caleb Williams does when he gets to campus. And not to say that I think either of them are going to be bust by any means, but it will be fairly interesting to see what that narrative is out there if they were to both have really successful careers. Like, do oh, people just act like the what we know didn't happen before and they base it off of what Rattler does? Like, that's a strange way to come to that conclusion. Well, the craziest thing about it, in any other program on the planet, if you are a transfer, you are deemed less likely to succeed than the kid that comes in from high school. But in Oklahoma, they're like, well, we're not sure about this five-star quarterback kid that came in that OU's already had for a year. Where's the transfer? If they had a transfer, we'd feel great about the offense. But now we're not so sure. It's just because everybody's like, well, these last three guys transferred. Jalen Hurts is the only one that feels anything like an actual transfer. Every other guy spent at least yeah. a year working, learning the offense, doing everything like a normal player would do. Jalen Hurts is the one guy that actually showed up, really went through the portal, and walked into the starting job. And by the way, and, it's not like it's not like they used the portal to get Baker Mayfield. He just transferred. He was a walk on. Yeah, he oh. he did it on his own. Like they didn't have to. They didn't. But here is the no. It was the athletic CFB had tweeted this out. Uh, it was this week in recruiting with Ari Washburn. The first thing was how Oklahoma used the portal to become QBU for five stars. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, th- th- that's not that's wrong. probably a little that, harsh. I'm okay. sorry, Ari, if you're not. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's fine. Um, I mean, I was geared up. I was ready to be pissed off. But no, um, well, uh, lost my whole train of thought. But like I said, it's just it's one of these things where people, they need something they can shoot Lincoln Riley down with. And. That's, I mean, I don't think it's anything. And, I mean, I, guys, if you made me pick the all-Big 12 quarterback at the end of the year right now, I'd take Spencer Rattler, and I wouldn't think twice about it. Like, I think he's I, – I get that Ellinger's got the name recognition, and obviously Brock Purdy's a really good player, and there's several others around the conference. Yeah, that but you can't do that until, you, until he proves it on the field. You just can't. I'll I mean, do it. I guess you can do whatever you want to do. That's damn right. But <laughs> – you look stupid. I mean, you open if he has a bad it's season, you look like a, a, a giant homer. No, I do, you do. I mean, you get the uh, you know Chip Brown. Texas is going to go eleven and one every year. I mean, I, I get it. So it's tough. I think a seven and but, five that year. Yeah, 
Yeah, it didn't it didn't go well. That, that was no, I JoJo think it was Galloway. Sorry, nobody, it's yeah. never gonna, nobody will ever amount to JoJo Galloway. No, and I mean I'm not I, I don't mean that's a bag on Chip Brown, but it's just any time Chip Brown makes a prediction from that point forward, it people are going to be like, oh yeah, what about the year they're going to go eleven one yeah. year one under yeah. Tom Herman? No, it's like, an it just gets you thrown at neck. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean that's what I'm. I, and again, preseason, no, I probably wouldn't pick it. But if you told me at the end of the year who I would lay money on to be the end of the, I, I'd pick Spencer Rattler because I just I know what I that mean, offense is, I know what it can do, and Ellinger and Purdy are both coming off years that are a little questionable. And you know that the, the talent is there for him to... He's got, basically got an entire offensive line coming back. Yeah. I mean, he's got tons of All talent at receiver, even though it's young. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's, fun, what's funny is, is you know, we kind of... It, it can be viewed as a homer statement in picking Spencer Rattler to be the quarterback of the year in the Big 12. You look at the Heisman race. He has the third best odds to win the f***ing the Heisman. He hasn't even started a game. Yep. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you know how that goes, Eddie. That's Vegas. They're no, just I, trying I to get you to put money down. Yeah, I sure. But, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, he has just as good of an argument as anybody else out there just based on track record. Well, it's not his accomplishment. It's Lincoln Riley's accomplishment that has him. Sure. And, that, and yeah, that's that what high. I mean. Is, and, that, and that's what I mean to the extent of, I mean, you can take shots at Riley offensively. And, and if you really want to criticize him, if you really want to poke him, you could talk about what Oklahoma hasn't been able to do in the playoffs as far as putting up offense against really good defenses outside of the Georgia game. But it's 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 kind of insane to me to think that that is the shot that you want to take on Riley. See, if I really wanted to make a hot take, I would make a hot take at, at this because it would it, it there's a good chance – well, there's a really good chance it's wrong, but I don't think – I don't know that we'll get to the end of a season for me to be proven wrong – so I could make a hot take saying, I believe at the end of the season, Oklahoma's starting quarterback will be Tanner Mordecai. I didn't say by the end of the season. You, 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 you I'm just saying that's a, that's a great hot take if you want to throw one out there. That's a lot better than, I mean, that's it's drilling it down a little bit more to OU, centrist, OU centricity, if that's a word. I don't know. That's a stupid hot take. I take it back. <laughs> it was a terrible, you tweet that. That was a terrible idea. You'd be freezing cold takes. <laughs> I do think it's kind of interesting. Like, and I've, I've even seen, like, I think, uh, is it his dad or his uncle who's pretty active on Twitter, uh, Mordecai's? I, it has to be, a, like, an uncomfortable, and maybe it's not, but, like, it has to be uncomfortable for him to walk around campus or go to workouts and stuff. Or maybe you're just, he's so confident in himself, it doesn't matter. But, like, I would be uncomfortable walking in there every day knowing that probably not going to start. I would hope that that Spencer Rattler doesn't treat Tanner Mordecai like he treated his backup quarterback in QB1. (laughs) Because he was a total shithead to him. That kid was a JV All-Star, though. So all that, kid saw, that kid committed to Michigan the next year, and Spencer treated him like he was garbage. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Mordecai, he might be able to kick Spencer Rattler's ass. He's not well, a small a man. Match? No, You're Mordecai's, Mordecai's stout. And he's got horse legs. I mean, his thighs and calves are 
He's thick. Dude, That's he's... the thing that gets lost in all this. People like have to make it. You know, Spencer Rattler's great. Tanner Mordecai's trash. No, Tanner Mordecai's a really good player. Yeah. He's, we haven't seen I mean, it. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like he, there's every reason to believe he can be a very good player. Spencer I mean, that Rattler South Dakota just, game, right there. All you gotta do is turn on the tape. Spencer Rattler made plays, and Tanner Mordecai didn't. And they both yep. had the equal level of talent. In, in fact, Tanner Mordecai might have had better talent around him when he was in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rattler, they were getting everybody on the field. Uh, now, I mean, he threw to Trajan Bridges and Theo Wee, so like, not like it was all bad for him. Oh, or anything, sure, yeah. But you know, um, I would say if there was going to be anywhere you'd say, eh, maybe the offensive line wasn't – I'd need to. i have to look at it to be sure, but that would be where I would guess you'd see a little more fall off in what was around him. Um, was there – well, I, I was just going to say, was there anything that you took out of your conversation, and it's running on the site this morning, uh, a conversation that you had with – Caleb Williams, offensive coordinator at Gonzaga. Uh, he's kind of in a good position, obviously, with the number one quarterback in the country. But, I mean, was he able to shed some light on maybe some questions that you had, Josh? You know, I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, we just, because of all of this, we've had no chance to go see Caleb and meet him and really be around him. Um, you know, just not to, it doesn't seem safe thing to do right now. But I, I will say, Talking to him, he was not at all surprised by, you know, we've talked a lot about Caleb's ability to recruit and connect with other players, and it sounds like that is just who Caleb is. He is a very natural guy, very outgoing, really likes to spend time talking to people. You know, so the role as a recruiter is just second nature for him is kind of the way I, I've come to understand it. And, you know, just as a player, it was interesting hearing him talk about, you know, so much of what Caleb does, you know, the decisions he makes are are largely just inherent. He goes, I mean, we work on stuff and we talk about things, but Caleb wants to be a distributor. He doesn't want to run around like a crazy person. And it, as he talked about Caleb's playing style and the way he wants to, it, it reminded me a lot of Kyler Murray, that same thing where everybody would be like, oh, man, Kyler Murray is a runner is incredible. And it, they're not wrong. He is. I mean, we all remember the Texas touchdown, but. That's not what Kyler Murray wanted to be. He wanted to sit back there and pick you apart, let receivers and running backs and everybody else make plays, and really just be a part of the offense rather than I am the offense. And that's what it sounds like is very much Caleb Williams' motivation as well. He wants to he wants to run it all. He'll be the you know the the trigger man, but he he doesn't need to run for thirty or forty yards. And you know the coach talked about it. You know just being a guy that is. Um, a smart enough guy to understand if I go out here and get rocked on this third and four run when I could have dumped it off to my running back, how how ready am I going to be to throw it on the next down? Like I, I you've got to understand that there's a give and take to that as well. What do you think about just skill set wise? Is it is it even is it just kind of like ne negligible between? Rattler and and Williams as throwers, they they kind of cancel each other. They're both just really good. Or you see one having an edge over the other. I would give the edge to Rattler, and I think it's largely on accuracy. I you know I, we all saw a little bit of it in the the Elite Eleven stuff. I thought Caleb missed some throws. You know, and I, again, you don't. It's it's five minutes. You don't want to go too crazy about it. But Spencer Rattler is the kind of guy I feel like gets out of bed in the morning and completes 70% of his passes. Like, he's just 
certain like you can train guys to be more accurate but there are certain guys and the guy i always think of is is sam uh, sam just hit his marks he he the ball was where it was supposed to be almost every time and there are certain guys that are just born with that and then again they hone it and they get even better and I feel like Spencer's that kind of guy. Um, I, thought, I think they I thought both like Bryce should Young make was, all the throws. Bryce Young was kind of that guy, too. I mean, he didn't have the strongest arm. Like, mm-hmm. when you when we had our last five-star, you know, Vandegriff was out there as a junior, um, and then Bryce Young was out there. But, I mean, he was just so accurate. But he didn't blow you away with his arm strength, but he literally did blow you away with how accurate he was. Yeah, there's just a certain level of a feel for the game that comes with those guys that are very good at accuracy, isn't there? Like, I, I, I guess it can be te- it can be taught, and you know, I'm sure that we got a we had a quarterback uh, coach that would come on and he'd tell you that there's all these drills and stuff, but there there's some things that you just I don't know. It, it feels like it's an untaught talent that people just have a feel for placing a ball out in front of another person, if that makes sense. The thing I'll say, and I don't have this really concern about Rattler because he went to the Army game and was really the only reason his team was able to do anything offensively. Um, But the thing I can say is from just a strictly high school games played, Caleb Williams will be more ready for the type of athletes he'll see in college than Spencer was because – I don't think people in Oklahoma and Texas can appreciate the kind of schedule. I mean, Gonzaga plays DeMatha. They play St. John's. They play some monstrously good programs out in the D.C. area. And, you know, it's not that Spencer's playing nobodies, but he's, he's not facing. I mean, I, I would guess at least half the time Caleb Williams is facing at least one Division One defender on the other team. And in the cases of, like I said, DeMatha and St. John's, he's facing three or four or five. And, I mean, I would guess Spencer maybe saw three or four all season. So, you know, it, it's just it's very different situations. And, like I said, I'm not concerned about that with Spencer, but it does help Caleb. It makes his learning curve a little smaller. Josh, um, obviously everybody got fired up for uh, for, for July 4th two commitments and I, you know, the Keon Coleman thing going to Kansas, we'd kind of been hearing about that uh, before it happened and uh, really seemed like it became like a basketball deal. And, you know, OU's not going to cry any tears over that. I mean, they, they can get whatever receiver they want basically. Um, But moving forward, I mean, you've still got guys I know that have been talked about as possibly pulling the trigger here and there. Uh, I think a lot of people are confused about some stuff with Jamar Kane was just trying to uh, jump in on the celebration and took it as, oh, well, they must have got a linebacker too, and that wasn't the case. Uh, but do you feel like that there is a, what is there a next wave being set up now, do you think? I, I do. I, I really do. And, you know, to, we'll start with the Jamar Kane stuff because – Everybody was in such a frenzy on the board at that point that, like, <laughs> anything a coach tweeted, I like, it could have been, I think you were like, screwing around, and it directly led to people claiming that there was a certain linebacker commitment. I, my problem was is I didn't think about how it was going to be taken. And sometimes when you're hurrying, you're doing other stuff. Like, I mean, it was the 4th of July. I was trying to get a little family time in, trying to monitor the boards. You were hammered. Just trying to do a little bit of everything. And, oh, I was I, I was drinking. So that that's all <laughs> fair. 
luckily, you know, stories have been written. We we were just waiting to push all the buttons. But um, no, with with that, there was you know, Jamar Kane tweeted out the the uh, was it was it well, Scooby? It wasn't Scooby. He's got it was dog the dog laughing. laughing. I, can't remember what I don't know what that. cartoon that is. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It but might be. He's done that several times. No, it's not it could be. It's a Hanna Barbera or something. Yes, it does. My matter. parents didn't anyway. let me watch cartoons as a child. So, <laughs> what I was trying to say is that people were, you know, trying. Oh, this means a commitment's happened, and I was like, no, I think it means he's talked to Scooby Williams, and then he tweets out Scooby. And I was like, I told you, and all I did instead of explaining that, I just put in the rivals like profile the player picture. card. Yes, the player card of Jeremiah Scooby Williams. And everyone's like, oh, they're getting Jeremiah Williams. I was like, no, that I, it's not what I meant. But I totally, it, you know, we, we give the board crap sometimes. That's on me. Like, I, I should have explained it better. I didn't. And I started off a whole thing that I didn't mean to start. Now, what I will say is it sounds more and more like Oklahoma is becoming a legitimate contender in Jeremiah Williams' recruitment. I Auburn leads. There's no question. Don't don't you know? Don't set your heart on this or anything. Oklahoma has a lot of work to do. It's an in-state guy for Auburn. I think Alabama's probably not really that engaged with it right now. So I think Auburn is the pretty safe bet right now. But if Oklahoma can get him to campus, maybe they can sell him on. Okay, you can come here and compete for national titles, or you can go to Auburn and finish third in the SEC West every year. You know, I mean, it's. It's it's that kind of pitch, and some kids go for that, and some kids don't. It's it, they got to you know everybody's got to make their mind up for themselves. But as far as yes, I, I I don't see him as it part of that next wave. But when you look at guys like Marcus Burris, uh, Jalil Farouk, Demond Harmon came out yesterday and announced he's going to announce his decision on August first. Um, you know, people can read into it if they want to. That I put a forecast in for him earlier that morning. You know, do what you will with that information. So I, I, I think Oklahoma is looking, you know, if you told the next month four or five commitments, I don't think that's I don't think that's out of reach. Uh, Prophet Brown from California is another guy. And if you think about that, Harmon, Prophet Brown, and Latrell McCutcheon could be Oklahoma's cornerback class and it could be zipped up in the course of a month. I mean, that's that's really impressive. And you the thing to really think about Prophet Brown was being recruited by Michigan and a lot of other schools as a running back, and OU has convinced him he's a corner and I think has actually won points with recruiting him at corner, which is not something you usually hear. Usually every kid wants to play on offense, and schools have to kind of convince him. I think he's been turned around to the idea of playing corner and how far that could take him. So um, they're, they're doing a lot of good work. Jalil Farouk, obviously good friends with Caleb Williams, was at the announcement. I mean, there, there's a lot of connection there. Um, and then, like I said, with Damon Harmon, another guy, big, long, physical corner, seems to really fit what OU wants to do. And the thing that I do like about him, as opposed to maybe Brown and McCutcheon, if things didn't work at corner, he could slide to safety pretty easily. So, yeah, you know, long, very long answer to a very, you know, reasonable question, Gary. <laughs> I, I, I do think Oklahoma's definitely starting to set up the next few steps uh, in their 2021 class. As kind of a little bit of a summary of what you just said, Josh, it seems like, and it's kind of what we hit on right at the beginning and talking about with Trell McCutcheon, and we're, you're going to start seeing it here over the next month, just the fact that there are many doors open for Oklahoma in the recruiting world on the defensive side of the ball that just simply haven't been in the past, let's say, three years, maybe even more so the past year. 
I'm not sure I followed. Uh, I, was I that a something. statement or a question? Yeah, I, I, it was, I was like, I, it was it was both, and I do that sometimes. <laughs> it, it just seems like there are doors open for Oklahoma in the recruiting world on the defensive side of the ball that just haven't been, and it speaks to what they're doing, what they're yeah. selling, just all of the above. Like you're talking about going in the, and having a realistic opportunity with a guy like a Jeremiah Williams. That just flat out wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago. It just oh, wasn't you're going. absolutely right. No, no, you and you because. It's not, I mean, like Jeremiah Williams, they went into Portland and got a kid, you know, in, in Rollins Kabange that, again, I will say over and over, OU loves that guy. They, they think he can be very, very good. Uh, Clayton Smith, a guy that nobody gave Oklahoma a chance at, went and got him. Uh, you know, you look at Kelvin Gilliam in Virginia. Oklahoma could land a borderline top 100 player in the country on the defensive line from Virginia. That You can't name the last time that happened. Um, you know, well, Okay, we can, but I, I told everybody at the time not to get excited, so I don't, I don't think R- Ricky DeBerry does not count. We don't get to have that conversation. Um, but, you know, it really is. I mean, you look all around. like and the, Guys, because it was so long in coming, I feel like people have overlooked it. They just went into Washington, D.C., an awesome. area that has been a hotbed for LSU, Alabama, all these other schools. And I, I get that it's a quarterback. I, I get that they they can recruit anybody in the country. But they went from Georgia, a kid that lived you know, in the shadow of UGA and got a commitment there, obviously lost it, and then just went to D.C. and were like, okay, we're going to go get him, and did it against Mike Loxley, who Maryland's not a great program. I understand that. Mike Loxley is flat out one of the best recruiters in college football so to go in and get him and really just kind of brush Maryland aside while you did it, that's that's pretty impressive. Like I said, they are they have really they I mean, even with the Peach Bowl, and I really wondered how much it would impact them. Their national brand is as strong as I've ever seen it in recruiting. Uh anything else you guys wanted to touch on before I finish up here? Mm-hmm. Eddie, this is no, usually I don't think your so. I just I would I would say that the the Jalil Farouk thing seems quite interesting as far as uh, the trade off and kind of I guess not lucking into it if you look at it through the view of not getting Keon Coleman but I mean it, I don't want to say Oklahoma is settling for anybody at the wide receiver position but if you are quote unquote going to settle for somebody like Jalil Farouk I, that's that's I guess that tells you everything you need to know about what's going on at that position and as far as their recruitment. Yeah, top top two hundred kid in, in the whole country, <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, I guess we could take him, um, but no, you know. And for people on the Keon Coleman thing, I did want to say, I I think if Oklahoma was going to get Coleman and then was going to take Farouk, I know a lot of people were like, well, what what would that mean for a Mecca Egbuka? has a spot as long as he wants one. He is not in any trouble. Um, what I think would have happened is Coleman would have become a safety recruit. And 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 they would and it would have been a situation where okay if you if you don't like that okay then maybe you're going to Kansas anyway you know they it would have just kind of come to that scenario in my opinion um, because that's that's they he was recruited as much as an athlete as he was a wide receiver now he wanted to be a wide receiver they told him he would get the shot there but again if if you're talking about Farouk and Agbuka and Cody Jackson and Mario Williams those are your four wide receivers I mean there's just no doubt. Um, so I, I think people, again, I, there was a lot of talk about how big that was. I, you know, it's fine. Oklahoma at wide receiver. I, I don't think it's going to be any issue. And 
as much as Coleman picked Kansas, he he ran out of options a little bit as well. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, um, yeah, we got word um, late last week that uh, one of our longtime and oldest members, Woofie, uh, he had, uh, for those of you on the board, uh, they've been following along. He had been posting, uh, and was undergoing, uh, I believe it was his fourth round, right? Josh of, of cancer treatments that he's been through in his life. Yes. I, I, I'm almost certain that's right. It's third or fourth. I mean, he, he's been through a lot. Uh, and, uh, it's fought the fight every time. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he passed and, uh, we're doing a lot on the site to uh, try and put some things together. Uh, I, I really appreciate Sooner in Columbia, uh, and he has really spearheaded keeping us updated on Wolfie's battle with cancer uh, and uh, his services that are coming up this Friday. They're going to be held in Bixby at 2 o'clock at the Life Church. Uh, if, if you uh, knew Wolfie, maybe you used to be a subscriber and you don't anymore, uh, you wanted to attend his funeral, the Life Church, July 10th at 2 p.m., uh, will be his memorial service. So um, if not, jump on the board. There's uh, information there. It's, it's pinned up at the top of the board. Uh, but, Josh, I know, you know you've know you kind of been the overlord more than I have of the board over the years. Uh, feel free to, to add anything that you w- would want about uh, Woofie, and I'll kind of explain some of what we're trying to do with the site to kind of honor his memory as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I said it a little bit um you know, during, uh, our, our emergency pod, but this was just a, a good man. I mean, like, you know, one of those th- kind of throwback guys that, you know, they always say, Oh, they don't make any more of those guys. And that's kind of where Wolfie was. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, people on the board, even that love him and respected him could turn around and do things that, you know, you would just never see Wolfie do. I mean, he's just one of those guys that kind of had a, uh, like a credo, like he just kind of, you know, he wanted everybody to joke around and laugh. And at the end of the day, we're all buddies anyways, even if, you know, people are talking shit to each other, if they're disagreeing, you know, Hey, we're all OU fans, you know, you're all here just to have a good time, blah, blah, blah. And I think he just had a really good perspective on life. I mean, this is a guy that had, you know, uh, really done a lot of various things. I mean, including being a police officer. I mean, he, he had a lot of different, um, I guess irons in the fire, I think uh, toward the end of his life was more of a, you know, small business owner and that kind of thing. So just a, a really interesting guy that, I mean, you, you look at all that's going on in the world and all the, the, the stuff that everybody has to argue about and disagree with. I don't care what side of those arguments you're on on the board. You respected Woofie. You knew him. You knew he was coming from a good place. You knew he, you know, really really would engage you wanted to talk to you about you know whatever it was going on in your life he'd ask me about my girls uh you know talk to various other people about whatever you know he saw them discussing whatever he thought they wanted to talk about he was just a very very open guy very interesting uh you know person that you know i just don't think you know many like him and i think that's why it's been such a big deal for our board his loss and always a guy that uh, wanted to arrange dinners at big events and things like that with guys from the board to get to know them. Uh, and a lot of I know a lot of uh, close relationships had formed that way. And uh, also give a shout-out to uh, Comrade Static, who is uh, – uh, he and, and uh, Sooner Columbia and I have been texting a lot uh, over this last week, just trying to uh, uh, come up with some ideas. And uh, I will say, uh, you know, we, we've always kind of struggled at the site we've always wanted to have a, a charity component. Unfortunately, we've been able to do some of that with 
Dari Noka over the years with his Hayden's Hope and raising money uh, for uh, ticket sales and field passes to games at Joe Castiglione's been gracious to help us out. And so we've raised a lot of money for that. Uh, a lot of people remember Donnie Hazelwood and the tragedy that his family went through, uh, premature twins, and they lost one. Uh, and we were the board was able to raise over twenty five thousand uh, dollars for his family to help out with expenses there. And of course, you know, burying an infant child is, is terrible. So we know everybody on the board has huge hearts, uh, and we want to be able to uh, kind of really highlight. Wolfie's name, uh, what he meant to everyone on the board, and get behind a charity uh, with his name on it. And we've already, I've already been in discussions uh, with OU's Cancer Research Center, and we're going to announce something pretty soon. But like I said, we've always wanted to have a, a big charity component to our site, uh, and uh, just honoring Wolfie's given us an opportunity to do that. And so we'll have more details on that. But we hope this is something that we can do for. Uh, families that you know are, are battling cancer uh, have a family member battling cancer uh, and just a way to help out people in in in, in Jim's name uh, so look for that and some more information on that and uh, uh, we're continuing to put that together and I know a lot of people have been saying what are you going to do to honor well this is what we're going to do we're going to put something together really big that we can get pull all our weight behind and help do some good out in the world uh, in Wolfie's honor so uh, again, the memorial service will be happening Friday uh, for those of you that want to attend at Life Church at 2 p.m. All right, um, guys, before we get out of here, maybe something a little bit lighter, uh, but maybe this is also part of Eddie's Good News Network. I'd just like to give your get your thoughts, your predictions on what the start of the season is going to look like with the with the current climate that's going on now. Uh, do you are you leaning in any direction like? Okay, uh, this will book. This will football will be played in the spring. It'll be split. It'll only be conference opponents. Uh, do you guys have any kind of thoughts? What's you, what's your temp? I'm trying to take your temperature on how you feel the season is going to look, the way things are going right now. I hope this won't be rectally. Um, I think it is probably <laughs> like I just I have an extremely tough time thinking they're playing non-conference games right now and. Uh, like the idea of us loading up and going to West Point, I just, I hope it happens. I guess there's still hope that uh, that it does happen, but I just have a hard time thinking that's that's going to be plausible and, and doable. Uh, fans in the extent. stands or no? I think there will be fans in the stands. I don't know how much. I don't know how many or how they're even going to go about that process. And my God, that seems like, an absolute headache because how do you tell somebody that is donating like, you know, where's the cutoff going to be? If you donate a hundred thousand dollars, how do you tell the people that are donating 90,000 that they need to donate, you know, 10, 10,000 more dollars to be able to get into a football game. Uh, it just, I think that there's still a lot, a lot of unknown and, you know, if things keep going the way that it is in the state of Oklahoma and Texas and, you know, Arizona and the, and the states that are really spiking hard right now. Um, you know, maybe football isn't the most important thing that we should be talking about. But uh, I have hope. I, I do think that the football season will be played in the fall. I think if you have 50 options, moving an entire season to the spring would be 51 on that 50 list option. So, I mean, I, I just I have hope that uh, there will be football and I think that there will be. It's just going to be. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all uh, comes about and comes together and 
uh, you know, I certainly hope that we're playing a part in it. I don't, I don't know how, to, how else to say it. I, I, you know, before Josh, you answer, I would, I would be really curious to know. I mean, like I remember when I would go to games as a kid, uh, and you know, they would have like you would look in the uh, program, and it would have a list because I would always look for my friends' parents because we would sit in their seats. We were, you know, they had big time seats. And so you would like see this list. And I remember there was a page in there that would list like these are our, you know, platinum level supporters or whatever. I don't think that there are like at the most people that are giving like $10,000 a year or more. I I think it's in the thousands. Like I don't think you I don't think those are the 20,000 people that you need to fit into the stadium. I think it's a much lower percentage of big donors than you think there are. Like, because you said cutting off, how do you cut off someone that gives 100 versus someone that gives 90? I think they're going to be cutting off people that give 2,500 versus 1,500. Yeah, that, that's probably fair. And I think that you are right as far as like, you know, big time school donors go. And I think that there's a lot of companies that give a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, you're probably right. What, what do you think, Josh? No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I agree with the point Kerry's making that, that there's, it's such a, especially at a place like Oklahoma, there's going to be such a grassroots kind of fundraising. Like there's not, you know, the state's not full of, you know, 500, you know, people worth a hundred million dollars or something. So you, you've only got a limited range you can kind of go into with that. But what I, I think I agree completely. I, I just don't see how out of, con- out of conference works. And it's really, it's not so much that I think it's a problem of organization or I think it's a big spread problem. What I think the problem is, is how do you make the logistics work when Oklahoma has just been deemed a state that cannot come into the state of New York without, you know, being quarantined for 14 days? Well, how do you make that work logistically for a team of, you know, 100, 115 people with, football staff and coaches and players and the whole thing. I, I don't know how that works at all. So I think that's probably what has to get uh, eliminated. And I think you can still run the season pretty much the way you would. Um, you know, shame, obviously, if that were to play out, you wouldn't get to see Oklahoma, Tennessee, some of those kind of fun games that we'd all anticipated. But I don't see I, – I, I just don't believe they're not going to play football. I, I, I And maybe that's me being – football junkie guy that just doesn't you know won't let myself accept that thought i just don't see it i think there's too much money on the table i think there is when you consider all, you know people talk about oh well, they'll move to the spring well yeah but you still have to fund all those sports that are going to play in the fall where does that money come from like where you just suddenly you're just okay i mean because i think we all you know there's always been talk of well oklahoma's too tight-fisted with their money and blah 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 and joe castiglione I think I think OU fans are feeling pretty good about themselves now because I doubt there are many schools in the country that are as financially on safe as safe ground as Oklahoma is right now, just because of the way Castiglione's always run that and just not going to you know overextend their pocketbooks and do things they can't afford to do. And to me, I, I just I don't see any way you put the football season at risk because let's say you do punt it to spring, you know that there's a possibility that you can't even do it then. And then you've lost everything for nothing. And I, I just, I don't understand that. I, I, I just think if they, if there's any way it's possible, 
they're going to play football in the fall. I yeah, think, I'm with I, you guys. I, I, I would even. I think they're going to play football. Um, that is, if they can get through camp, and that's the other thing. Like, how much team stuff do you do? Like, is it all just going to be like, I don't. <laughs> Are the line splits going to be six feet? I mean, like, you know, in practices, are uh, are you just going to practice like mirrors? Uh, you'll have the defense on one field and the offense on the other field. Like they're, they're probably going to try and do as much as they can just to keep people from being in close quarters until they figure out how much they can contain the virus. Because if people can't do voluntary workouts without it spreading, I don't know how. And I'm not so much worried about on the practice field, but, you know, going out to campus corner, uh, because that's where this is, you know, spreading is through young people. Like it just, and and that's the thing. I'm not trying to start. I don't want to hear the argument about number deaths and it doesn't affect young people. It doesn't matter. If people are testing positive, it's screwing up the whole process, regardless of what it does, how serious it is, all that stuff. It's done. So if they can just get through fall camp, and like I, I'm with you guys. I think no non-conference, and then they will do everything they can to play a season. I think worst-case scenario, teams play three or four games, and the infections spread so much that they they realize they can't control it, and they just have to shut it down. But I think I think we'll see the start of football this year. I don't know if we'll see the finish of it. I do too. I do too. Now I I would not put. You know, I, there's been rumblings out here throughout the day that, you know, the Ivy League is going to look to move to the spring. I don't think that the Power Five conferences will, in in a sense, give a damn what the Ivy League No, is. they like, don't. I know that there was a lot of people that kind of looked at that because of the way that the basketball season ended. I think the Power Five commissioners have already basically said uh, they, can, they can knock themselves out. We're going to be playing in the fall. And you know what? I might be a fan of that. If the, if the spring, if Ivy League just wants to commander the spring i think that'd be kind of cool commandeer commander be the commanders of it <laughs> eddie's mixing well, up the ivy it's league it's been a while since academies. we called you out on a word usage no yeah. that was a bad one that was a good one though it was a bad one for me but a good one for you how about that do you like see words when you say them did you just read it wrong like in your head i don't know i think that i was uh I think I ate a lot of paint chips as a kid. <laughs> uh, I know you're worried about the Chinese stealing all your information right now since you downloaded TikTok. Oh man, they already got all my information. I'm it. I'm so I'm so deep in this thing. It doesn't even matter. There's no turning back. I one last thing from me. Uh, I'm on radio furlough this week, so I've had some extra time on my hands in the mornings. And Feel the Dreams came on, and I watched it. And I don't know if it's the climate that we're in right now, but it's the first time I ever watched Field of Dreams and noticed that that Shoeless Joe Jackson murders Terrence Mann at the end of the movie. Do you mean because he takes him into the corn? He pushes him into the corn where you you have to die in order to visit. Like, it's like he kills him. Well, I mean, but they killed Terrence, Terrence Mann. It was more like assisted suicide. Because, I mean, Terrence Mann got out there. He wasn't there by accident. But isn't there, like, a... Isn't they there killed him. Said? Like, isn't there a belief that Terrence Mann, it could be deemed that he was never actually alive in the movie? 
I've seen like, that. I, well, like you know what? You know what? Before. Moonlight Graham, yeah, he did meet up with Moonlight Graham outside of the baseball field. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess that is. But, the, yeah, that's a pot. You've just opened my eyes to something new. And I, I well, want you to be, I want to be really guy, clear. That's, that's why I'm here. With all parties involved, any field of dreams slander is going to be met with hostility. So let's be real careful where we go here. Um, I, I, Josh, I've seen the movie. Dad. Leave him alone. I've seen the movie a hundred times and I stopped to watch it again. I will never slander the movie. Okay. I, I didn't think you did. I, I just, just want to be real clear before we get down the road. It's just shocking that I've never thought about that before, that they murdered Terrence Mann at the end of the movie. And Ray Kinsella was so stupid, he volunteered to be murdered, too. <laughs> he wanted to be murdered. Yes, he was like, why can't I go? What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. And then, like, and then it was like Ray Kinsella became complicit in the murder because Terrence Mann <laughs> lied. He admitted that he lied about the article about Ebbets Field. And so then, like, Ray Kinsella was like, okay, yeah, kill him now. That's I'm fine with it. It's, it's interesting. Uh, it's probably because I'm the married one on the pod right now. But I'm thinking of that whole conversation where he's literally in fr- And I'm thinking of, like, Laney looking at me like, will you take me out there and murder me? Like, please. <laughs> My ch- wife and child are here. Please take me out in that field and murder me. If you I could. told Thanks. you, yeah. I mean, well, Ray Kinsella, you know, he, he the farm was gone. The, the note had already been sold on the farm. Maybe he just wanted out. What What is the guy's name that plays his brother? He's been in a bunch of crap. He was in the West Wing. Um, I love it when he parks his Jeep and just walks across the oh, field. That's the best. He plays such a good, like, douche. Not, not an asshole, because I don't think he's bad intention, but he's just a douche. Well, he was in Revenge of the Nerds. He's Poindexter. <laughs> oh, my God, that was him. <laughs> I did thought of that. Uh, it feels like he's like a C something. Like It's not C. Thomas Howell, but like that. Timothy Busfield. Like, Okay, no, I was way off then, but yeah, no, they, he's he's good. I've actually I never watched The West Wing. I have been watching that with Tiffany. That's been one of our binges here lately. So, yeah, he was Poindexter in uh, Revenge of the Nerds too. So yeah, that was I mean that was the, my revelation of the week. It's like I can't believe I've never thought of it in those terms before. I love everything about that movie, but now Joe Jackson's a murderer, and not Michael's dad. The baseball player. He uh, he plays uh, he plays Lou Collins, right? Yes. Major League. I mean, not Major League. Uh, Little Big League. Yep, he does. Oh I didn't yeah, think that, but you're absolutely right. Well, and does and of it course, pretty good well. Fellas. I mean, Ray Liotta. Come on. Right, wait, what? Ray Liotta is Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field oh, of Dreams. Oh, okay. I yeah, was yeah. like, wait, Timothy Busfield's and Goodfellas? Hang on. Oh I no, no that I, yeah, we totally switch conversations okay. now. Okay, I got you. Now, Timothy Busfield was Lou and what? Lou Collins, a little Collins. big league. He was the first baseman. Oh, uh, yeah. He was, didn't he date his mom or something? Or didn't yeah. sparks got, develop between that, his mom? Did that, okay. For sure. Important, uh, you know, point of order here. During the season, he asked her out on the first date ever. By the playoff game with the Mariners, he's going to ask her to marry him? Like, that dude's in a hurry. Like, something... <laughs> Well, it wasn't a shortened season then. They played no, exactly. games. No, I mean, because like, I mean, player. Billy comes on late in the, like the season's going on when this starts. Like, it's not like game one they start dating, and you know, five months later, it was. Mid-season. What you're saying is how much f-ing were they doing? 
Well, that or they weren't. Or mom was very prudish, and the only she way was he was going to get in the pants. Exactly. She was, was, a, was she, marriage. What do they, what do they call that? Uh, she was a born-again virgin? I guess. I she mean, had a kid, you know, and then she like, got celibate. You know Lou had to be saying, we know you've done it. Billy's here. Like, so you know, let's not be prude about it. That hymen this. ain't coming back, lady. <laughs> oh, God. I had always heard that Billy was adopted, and that's why oh. he never stopped having sex. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe she it was, was sold into a uh, into a uh, sex trafficking ring as a child. Is what I had heard too. <laughs> oh, and that's what they don't. That's what they don't talk about is the backstory on the Minnesota Twins owner is he was Mormon. <laughs> just bringing it all full circle. Oh, you really real. came yeah. into the pod today wanting to talk about the just wanting to shit on the Mormons. I should have go. Way to go, both of you. Deshaun Jackson yep. Awards of the Day. We did combine for that. Yeah, I'll totally give that. Yeah, somehow we escape looking better than Deshaun Watson. Or, I mean, Deshaun Jackson has ever thought about being. Oh. All right. Uh, I'm glad we got oh, our stupidness note. in. Uh, but, yes, uh, again, Friday, 2 o'clock, Wolfie's Memorial. Uh, if you can, be there. I know uh, Darlene, his wife, would uh, love to see you. Would appreciate you being there. Uh, all right, so for Eddie, for Josh, McQuestion, uh, I am Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you guys back here next week for another edition of the Unofficial 40 Podcast from Soonerscoop.com.